Welcome to Aim Higher, a show designed to help us realize the leadership potential inside of all of us. I'm Skip Pritchard, CEO, author, blogger, student of success, and your host. Today, I'm here with somebody that is just fascinating. He's my friend, Paul Smith. He's one of the world's leading experts on organizational storytelling. He is a leadership speaker, storytelling coach, author of several books on stories, including Lead with a Story, Sell with a Story, Parenting with a Story, and his latest, The 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell. And he is an expert on corporate storytelling and on the effectiveness of storytelling. And he's interviewed a lot of executives on this, uh, has been a consultant for Accenture. I think he spent, what was it, Paul, 20 years at Procter & Gamble? Exactly. Exactly 20 years. Mm -hmm. So um, was it 20 years to the day, Paul? No, I think there was a couple of months and change in there, but yeah, it was, okay. it was north of 20. North of 20. So he's been featured in all sorts of publications and he's a native Ohioan on the other side of the state. And we are glad to have you here. So welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for, for having me back to chat with you. And, and now I'm feeling pressure to be fascinating. I'm not, I'm not sure I've heard that uh, superlative used in my direction before, but, uh, but, but I'll, I'll try and live up to it. <laughs> You're telling stories. That's fascinating. Your research <laughs> is fascinating. So thank you for joining us. And I just want to stop because a lot of people, particularly in, in business, will think about facts and figures and uh, analytics and statistics and moving the numbers and operations. And they don't always think about storytelling. I know when you're mm -hmm. getting an MBA, they don't always talk about storytelling. You have an MBA from uh, Penn, I think. I, I do. And they didn't talk about that. You're right. They don't do that right now. I'm a lawyer and we talk a lot about storytelling. Yeah. We talk about the courtroom and framing things and how do you tell the story that you want to tell to the jury. It's in fact, uh, very, very important to the legal career, but in business, not so much, but it's a vitally important skill you argue uh, across all of your books. Why is storytelling so important? Yeah. So I think there's, there are dozens of reasons I'm sure, but the, the biggest one I think is that human beings uh, don't make decisions the way we think we do. You know, we, we like to think that we're these very rational, logical creatures. Uh, but it turns out the research tells us that most of our decisions are made in a subconscious emotional processing part of the brain. And then that's where the decision is made. And then we justify and rationalize those decisions a few nanoseconds later in, in a more conscious thinking, logical processing part of the brain. So that's why we leave those decisions thinking that they were logical decisions. And some of them are, but largely they're more emotional, you know, uh, gut decisions made in a reptilian brain. And so if you want to influence what people think and feel and do, in other words, leadership, it turns out you need to speak to both parts of the brain. N neither one by themselves is really good enough. Uh, but most of what we're taught, all those facts and figures that, you know, that you talked about earlier, only reach that left logical thinking part of the brain. And they, they do a very poor job of reaching the other part of the brain where most of the decisions are really made. But stories are uniquely able to reach that other part of the brain. Uh, but they do a good job of talking to both halves. So you, you, you definitely need to add storytelling to your repertoire of communication skills if you want to be as effective as you can be at influencing people. 
Well, you say to add it to your repertoire of skills, and that implies that you can do that. So mm -hmm. you believe that everyone can learn to be a storyteller? Because it seems like we know that some people are like, oh, you're so great at telling a story, or mm -hmm. you're great at a joke, and others are notorious for forgetting the punchline right. or <laughs> struggle with getting that story out or tell so many details that people get lost along the way. How do people that want to go about learning this skill, how, where do they start? Yeah. Well, so first of all, I, you're right. I do think people can learn this skill. And the, the analogy I use is it's like, uh, it's like any other art form like music or, or dance or, or painting or something. Um, there are people who are naturally born and gifted artists in those ways, whether music or dance or whatever. And there are some people like me who, who just don't have really an artistic bone in our, in our bodies. But if I wanted to learn to play the guitar, for example, I bet I could learn, right? And, and the way I would learn answers your second question, which is, you know, how would you learn? Well, I'd, I'd go take lessons from somebody who knew how to play the guitar, right? I wouldn't just buy a guitar and set it next to my bed at night and hope that through osmosis, I would become a, a guitar player. So, but if you could do that, Paul, I'd be very impressed. That would be, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> I, I would play You'd probably have instrument. a pretty good app there. Yeah. So um, no, you, you like any other anything else, any other skill, you need to learn how from someone who knows how. There are techniques involved, right? You don't just wing it, and and that's that's what most people do. If and when they finally realize that they need to be better at storytelling, they'll just decide. Well, I'll just start telling more stories, and then I'll be better at it. Well. You may be practicing bad habits with your storytelling, just like if you tried to teach yourself guitar or the piano. Is it possible to do that? Yes, of course. But most people need some help to do it right and to do it quickly and efficiently. So, you know, watch watch some YouTube videos on storytelling, read some books, take a class. You know, that's why I do what I do for a living is to teach people how to do this. So it absolutely is a learnable skill but you're best served by learning from somebody who knows the techniques uh, who can teach it to you. Well, it does seem like there are some common pitfalls and mistakes. I, I wrote a book about mistakes, so I'm always interested in what people get wrong uh, because I think it helps us get right. Are there a few themes where people just consistently just mess it up when they're telling stories other than forgetting the punchline of a joke? Yeah. Yeah. A, a number of things. The first mistake is thinking you're telling a story when you're not even telling a story. Okay. And we do that all the time. And like, uh, if I was trying to sell you something and I'd said, Hey, you know, skip, there, there are three reasons why you should, you know, buy my latest book. You know, here's reason one, reason two, reason three. Well, that's not a story. That's a sales pitch. And there's nothing wrong with a sales pitch. We, we need sales pitches in our life if you're going to sell something, but a, a sales pitch is a list of reasons to buy something, you know, or if, if I was coming to you for approval on my next project and I needed your approval to get to the next, you know, funding gate, and I'd say, well, you know, Skip, there, there, there are four reasons why I think this project needs to be moved forward. And I'd go through those four reasons. Again, the presentation is a list of reasons to agree to something. It's not a story. A story is something special. You know, there's a, a time and a place and a main character and that main character's uh, got a goal and there's probably a, someone or something getting in the way of that goal, an obstacle or a villain. And there are events that transpire along the way that resolve themselves nicely in the end. I mean, a real story. So the first mistake is people thinking they're telling a story and the thing they're telling isn't even a story. So I can't, I can't make it a good story or make it a better story because it's not even a story to begin with. So that's the first mistake is not even knowing what they're talking about isn't even a story. But uh, once I get them onto a story, some of the more common mistakes are 
uh, gosh, my, my favorite, or, or maybe it's the one I hate the most. I, I, I'm not sure which way I should describe that, but it's introducing your story by telling people you're going to tell them a story. And that almost always turns people off, right? So, so Skip, so um, let me tell you a story. <laughs> okay. That kind of a, an opening, there are some people that, that that will work with, but most of us roll our eyes when we hear that. Like, oh, really? And we look at our watch and we're like, okay, look, I, I'm busy today. Can you just like get to the point? Because we assume what you're going to do is tell us this long, boring, 15 minute, irrelevant story about the barbecue you had this weekend, as opposed to a nice, terse, two or three minute, high impact story that at the end of which I'm going to not even realize you were telling me a story, but I'm going to be you know, thirsty to learn more about whatever it is you're telling me about. So introducing a story like that by telling people you're going to tell them a story almost always does you a disservice. And so you just shouldn't even say that. You should just start telling the story. Yes, I can definitely see that one. And the elements of a good story, the classic elements and having a hero and a struggle and a villain, it just makes everything uh, much more powerful and pulls you right mm -hmm. in. Well, your latest book, uh, 10 Stories Great Leaders Tell, I love uh, what Sarah Matthew, the former CEO of Dun & Bradstreet said, Paul's guide will help you make a better leader in just one hour. I mean, that that's a leadership <laughs> makeover right there. Yeah. Just one hour and boom, you will be a better leader. And it has really these 10 stories that are in this book. And how did you pick them? How did you get to these 10 stories? There's a variety of yeah. them. How did you come up with them? Yeah. So first of all, just to, uh, to respond to why I think Sarah can get away with that claim that she's making there is because, you know, you and I have both written books. Most books are 250, you know, some odd pages long, takes you eight, 10, 12 hours to read through probably over the course of a, a few weeks. So, you, you know, after getting this book, uh, you know, this is not one of those books. This is a book that you can pick up and read in a single hour. So it's a very small, very short, very focused book. And it was, it was designed that way on purpose. You know, all my other books have been, you know, much more in-depth and lengthy. And the idea behind this one was, um, gosh, Paul, you've told us about lots and lots of stories, <laughs> you know, dozens and dozens of types of stories. Could you please focus and just tell us the most important 10? So, you know, this book is designed to be here, are the most important 10 stories. Here's one example of each of them and a few tips to help you craft your own. So to answer your, your, your second question there, how did I pick these 10? So I used four criteria. Um, and the first one was just uh, looking back at my clients. So what my corporate executives that hire me to teach them how to be better storytellers, I looked back over the last six years of doing that, seven years really, and, and to figure out, well, what stories have they been asking me most frequently for help on, right? Because I wanted stories that would be very practical and useful. So what stories are executives asking for help on? The second criteria was I wanted stories that... Um, uh, would be in areas uh, for leaders in all functional disciplines, right? Not just the marketing leader, the sales leader, the HR person or IT or engineering, but stories that all functional leaders would benefit from telling. Third, stories in areas that I thought all leaders really need to exert some influence. So I think when I'll give you the list here in a minute, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners will go, yeah, that's a story I know that a leader needs to be influencing in that area. These are important areas to the success of a company. And then my last criteria was just, I wanted to pick stories that I didn't think would need to change very often because a lot of the stories you'll tell, well, I'm going to tell the story, you know, but then next month the, the need is gone. And so I won't ever tell that story again. I wanted to pick stories that you could 
invest some time in getting them right because you're going to be able to tell this story you know, for, for not just weeks and months, but years, in some cases, even decades. So it would behoove you to get it right. That makes sense. And, and I can see that from these 10 stories, how leaders need and rely on these in various ways. I mean, all of these stories are stories that I've told or mm-hmm. uh, been involved with. You know, the very first one struck me because it's where we came from, our, our founding story, mm-hmm. how we're founding. And you can see that being an important corporate story. And I've seen it told extraordinarily well. I've also seen that one in particular, Paul, told really badly. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you come <laughs> in and right in 1927, we were founded by, you know, Jim and he crossed the path with, you know, and it you just, your eyes, talk about eyes glazing yeah. over and you're stuck. And now all of a sudden you realize, wait, I'm being subjected to 47 minutes of it's all about you instead of me as the customer and focused on me. It just makes me grit my teeth. Oh no, I'm please, please, please don't do that. But that's not the way you intend that story. How do you make that first story, our founding story effective? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great observation. Many of them are really poorly done because they're either too long. And so it's all, all about me or there's just nothing in there other than some facts. Like, yeah, we founded the company in 1936 with, uh, you know, two guys in a basement and $500. And today we're a fortune 500 company. Yay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What they miss and what these founding stories need to have is that critical moment where a decision was made that resulted in the founding of the company. In other words, it's answering the question, why did the person who founded the company decide to found the company? Because you and I both know nobody has ever quit their job and risked everything to go start a new company for a boring reason, right? There's always an exciting reason why the the risk that they decided to take because they couldn't stand doing what they were doing one day more. They just hated the product and they just knew it could be better, but nobody would let them make it any better. And so they just, I'm going to start my own company. It's that moment where, you know, Bill Gates decides to drop out of Harvard and, and, and found Microsoft. It, it's that moment that Michael Dell, you know, decides, you know, his garage, he's going to start building these computers. It's, it's that moment where is it Fred Smith at the, you know, Federal Express, he gets a C on his, his term paper at Yale, you know, for his idea of an overnight delivery company. And, and he says, you know, wow, I'm going to, I'm going to do this anyway, even though my professor thinks I'm an idiot, you know, those moments, that's what you're looking for is that critical moment where you've decided I'm going to do this anyway, despite all the risk. And and then all the details, you you don't need to include those because that's all the details of how you got from the small company to where you are today. That's not the founding story. The founding story is just that one moment where you started the company. Other stories will get you to where you are today, but that's usually boring. The founding story is only that moment. It's so good. And you uh, touched on the story of FedEx, which is probably the most valuable C in history, I think. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, case for change story, the second one, why we can't stay here is so important today. And it seems to me like things are changing so fast. It seems obvious that we have to constantly change. And yet we can never as leaders ignore the importance of making that case for change, of explaining why things can't stay in the status quo. Because we're all, you know, as humans, we're, we're, we're comfortable. As soon as we get comfortable, we don't want to change. It's good. It's, we're happy. It's, it's warm and nice. Why do we need to change? And uh, I think this one is particularly important today as technology changes and AI and robotics and 
machine learning and all these new technologies are, you know, upending industries and will in the next several years. How do leaders really master this case for change story? Yeah. So the way to do that is to figure out who is it that stands to benefit from this change? You know, surely it's good for somebody, right? Or the, the company wouldn't be doing it. So it's either going to be better for employees or for the shareholders or or the community or the environment or there's someone or something is going to benefit from this change. Find out who that is and then interview that person or somebody that knows about that stakeholder and find out what's their life like today and what's their life going to be like in the future after this change and show that change in the story so that you can the the audience will care about you know whoever it is that stands to benefit and if it happens to be the employees that's even better because they're the ones that have to probably go through the change but you want to tell a story about somebody who will benefit from it so that it humanizes the need for this change excellent and i'm not going to go through all these stories but we'll put them in the show notes and i hope people get this great book the 10 stories great leaders tell and master them. But I want to skip down to number eight, uh, mm -hmm. how we're different from our competitors, because this marketing story, this differentiation story, it's so very important. My friend Scott McCain talks about differentiation all the time and how you can be iconic. H how we're different from everyone else is just vitally important today, where everything can look the same, everything's kind of, you know, vanilla. How do you stand out? How do you make yourself different and tell that story in a way that people go, aha, you know, that pulls me in. So here it might be best if I gave an example, but can I, can I just share an Wait. example of that type of story? Yeah. I, th I think it'll be more illustrative. So my, my favorite example of this one comes uh, from a guy named Sherrod Madison, who's the CEO of United Building Maintenance, which is a, a commercial cleaning company. And whenever he gets a new uh, client, he always does the same thing. He, he sneaks into the building in the middle of the night uh, within the 30 days before his company is going to take over the the cleaning because some other company's doing it, right? And he does that because he wants to uh, check out how they're doing it and if they're all, you know, well-equipped and trained to do their job because he's going to acquire these mostly contract employees when he takes over. Has and, he ever been arrested for breaking an entry? No, because no, he, he always asks permission, right, from the the, the owners uh, because they've, they've already contracted with him. And uh, and he he tells people about this when he's you know, in a, in a meeting with a new prospect, he tells them about a typical experience of going in the night before. So he'll say, so, uh, you know, last month we took over the Verizon building. So, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, I go in there and I find a guy vacuuming the carpets and he's just using the same residential quality vacuum cleaner that I use at home. You know, that, and by the way, those floors, uh, those quarters are 12 feet wide and a half a mile around. It's going to take that guy a month just to vacuum the floors once. And by the way, that that vacuumer is not going to do a very good job and it's going to break down every couple of weeks because it's just not made for this kind of use. So when I took over, I put him into a, you know, a triple wide industrial grade vacuum cleaner that'll do a much better job in a fraction of the time. Plus that thing will last forever. Well, you know, I also wanted to go see, you know, how they're dusting the offices. So uh, I, I go up another floor and I look on top of the cabinets and I see on the same thing on top of all of them. There's a half a moon swiped out in the dust on the top. And he says, I know exactly what that means. And you probably do too. Those cabinets are all five and a half feet tall. That's standard height, you know, in the U.S. for cabinets. And the people doing the cleaning, some of them aren't that tall. So it's not that they're lazy. They just literally can't reach the back of the cabinets with their dust cloths. And that's what leaves that kind of a half moon swiped out on top. And he said, the truth is they'd be better off not cleaning it at all because it's the contrast between the dusty part and the clean part 
that makes it obvious that it's dirty. So he said, when we took over, we put them all into these, you know, uh, simple little 18 inch plastic extension wands so they could reach the back of the cabinet with their dust cloths. So, you know, so here he tells this story to a prospective client instead of saying, well, you know, the reason why we're different than our competitors, the reason that we're better is that we use uh, triple wide commercial grade vacuum cleaners. And uh, I give all my dusters, you know, 18 inch extension wands. And, and that's how we're different. Well, those Beyond, are- Nobody would yeah, care, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. Sure. Those are your two differentiating characteristics, your two differentiating benefits. But telling the story, now you can see in your mind's eye- that guy pushing around that triple wide commercial grade vacuum cleaner. You can see somebody easily reaching the back of the cabinets with their, their 18 inch extension wand on their dust cloth, you know, so it becomes more real and tangible. So all you got to do to create this story is, you know, make the list of what are your key differentiating characteristics and then tell a story about somebody, your customer probably using those benefits and appreciating them as opposed to just giving people the list. Much more powerful. Or you just hire a very tall cleaner. I suppose so. Yeah. <laughs> we all see things at, at different perspectives. So I, I always think um, yeah, I just hand a rag to somebody who's very tall, yeah. whatever you can see. that That's a great example. And it is a differentiator. I could see that story being used and, and pulling people in. Well, the very last story is also uh, of interest, why you should want to work here. It's a recruiting story. And I think leaders of all types need to be thinking about this all the time because we're constantly recruiting, both recruiting people who are new to the organization or looking at the organization and even employees who are currently in the organization. Mm -hmm. You still have to kind of re-recruit them. I think if you're a leader, you should be constantly thinking about this story, right? Why should you want to work here? What's, what is this about? And I could see this being a transformative story for leaders because it's, vitally important to keep people engaged. How have you seen leaders use this one or master this one? Yeah. So the, the best way to come up with a good recruiting story is to ask the people you work with these three questions. One, what made you want to come work here? Two, why do you stay? And three, have you ever thought about quitting, but decided not to? What made you change your mind? And if you ask enough people those three questions, not everybody's going to have a good story, but you're going to come across a few really good stories that let you realize, oh my gosh, I, the personal impact of something that happened, either it was a great manager or a lousy manager, or something, something happened that made them realize how awesome it is to work here. That's the story that you want to tell. It's a real story about a real employee who loves working there, but for a very specific reason, as opposed to the reasons everybody normally gives when you ask them, you know, why is it good to work here? Oh, well, we've got great pay and benefits and uh, competitive, you know, advancement policy and good, you know, we smart people, you get to work with smart people, right? Those are the, basically the three reasons everybody gives. Well, everybody gives those reasons. You need something unique. And by asking those questions, you will stumble across a great story. Paul, you have used these stories at organizations of all sizes. I've seen mm -hmm. From your past, you obviously have 20 years with a very, very large company, and I've seen quotes from people at very large companies. But what I love about these 10 stories is that it's practical and, and they're usable for, for leaders of organizations of literally any size. Mm. And oftentimes, I think the, the entrepreneur may think, well, you know, I don't have time to craft all these marketing messages, et cetera, but they can easily look down this list and develop and think about these compelling stories. 
since you've launched this book, and I know you've been out on tour and talking about this book on in various places in the media and podcasts and everywhere else, how has the response been? And have you seen that response, like I would think, across all sizes of organizations? Yeah, so that's a good observation. I, I don't think that was intentionally one of my criteria, you know, the four criteria for picking them. But you're absolutely right. I think any size organization, even if it's a one person, you know, one man, one woman operation, I think you need these 10 stories, right? Uh, and and those small companies that are often having to go to, you know, in, investor, uh, you know, uh, uh, angel investors or VC firms or private equity groups, you know, to get funding to to start their company. Several of these stories will help you do that. I mean, they, they want to know the passion behind the founding story. They want to know how you're different from everybody else who does something similar to you. They want to know how you're going to serve your customer. You know, so uh, the, you know they want to know your. We didn't talk about them all, but they want to know what your vision is in the form of a story and your strategy story, how you're going to get there. Those are stories I think every leader needs to be able to tell, even if they're just telling it to themselves. Right, because to be able to articulate these stories, you need to have thought through your vision, your strategy, your case for change, your sales, your marketing, all that kind of stuff. So it will help you even, I think, even if you didn't ever have an opportunity to tell anyone these stories, just thinking through them, I think, is a benefit to anyone. Get a dog. Just yeah, tell the yeah. story. Right? <laughs> Audience of one. Paul, these stories are important. You're right. I think no matter what size and and even if you don't deliver the story just the mere fact of getting ready to give them is extremely important to being more focused in your leadership and i think many people when they think about stories and i'd love your perspective and research and observations on this i've seen many people practice and memorize numbers in a financial presentation mm -hmm. they will think about those five steps that they want to talk about. They will have the observations. But when it comes to a story, they will say, you know, tell the story about it. They'll just think about it. And they won't really... They'll wing it. Yeah, they'll wing it. They don't put yeah. the practice in. They don't perfect it. They don't really think about the impact. And yet that is far more impactful, I think, than the other, where you could just read it off the slide and it mm -hmm. would be fine. Uh, it wouldn't do any harm, though I never advocate reading off a slide. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? Why is that? And I mean, is that an accurate observation? And if it is, yeah. why is it that people think winging a story is okay? Yeah, that, that is a, a good observation. I think most people do that and they, they do. They just assume that storytelling is the kind of thing. Well, first of all, it should sound extemporaneous and conversational. So nobody wants to listen to a memorized story that you've memorized a story word for word, probably off of something that was written right? And we, and we, you know, we write differently than we speak. So when somebody's reciting a memorized written speech, it sounds like they're reading to you from a book and nobody wants that, right? So I think part of the reason they do it is a good reason. And it's because they instinctively know that for this story to work well, it should sound like I'm just having a conversation with someone. And the best way to tell an extemporaneous story is to not memorize it word for word. So I think part of it is a good instinct on their part. The bad part, though, is what that means is they don't prepare for it at all. So not only do they not memorize it, they don't even prepare. They don't think through the parts of a story and, well, you know, you know when, where and when did it happen and who's the main character and what did they want and what happened first and what happened second and how did it turn out in the end and what's the lesson you want them to learn that, you know, they don't think through the structure of a story. And the other way that they should prepare that they don't 
is it probably would help to memorize a few key parts of the story, like the first sentence and maybe the last sentence and you know, one or two sentences around each major change point in the story. Because uh, if you don't, you end up just fumbling with your words and, and not having an, any idea how to transition from one part of the story to the next. So to most people, having a few key phrases memorized ahead of time will help them tell the rest of the story in the proper order and in a conversational way. Well, Paul, you are a great author. You do all these interviews. You help people with organizational storytelling. The one thing I actually don't know about you is do you coach people specifically on telling stories? Yes. So in fact, that's the majority of my my business is uh, is coaching and training the leaders and executives and teams how to be better at their job through the art and the science of storytelling. So that's everywhere from, you know, full day hands-on training courses to one-on-one kind of one hour at a time executive coaching. I, I've got some of my clients uh, recently now who've just said, gosh, you know, we, we don't have time to read your book or even, or come to your class, but we know we need these three stories. So could you just write them for us? <laughs> and I, I didn't set out to make myself a speech writer or a, you know, a, a, a for hire author, but I, I do have a few clients that actually just gosh, we just want the story and we just don't have time to learn all this stuff. Can you do it for us? So I'm, I'm trying to meet the need wherever I can. Well, that's interesting. I knew you did the training sessions and the all-day sessions. I didn't know that you offered uh, personal coaching as well, which I think is gratifying to see. H- have you watched then people develop quite substantially from where they started as they kind of take on this uh, mission to tell stories? Yeah, definitely. And and they, the the confidence that they build is is really impressive. Uh, and some of those coaching engagements have turned into not really just storytelling coaching engagement. Now they're just executive coaching engagements uh, where we, we don't even talk about storytelling much anymore because it's just kind of how they do their work, but they appreciate having another you know experienced executive to, to bounce ideas off of. Paul, the other thing I think people have a misconception when they're talking about storytelling is they think storytelling is for the big speech, the big mm. speaker only for the, you know, the podium. Yeah. And and storytelling throughout all of your books is not just that big presentation or the big investor presentation, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, I mean, that's where right. it's really important, but it might just be in a small group. It might just be one-on-one yeah. and it, it's extremely important to master that as well. Yeah. These are hallway conversations sometimes or that over the water cooler type conversations or in a, over a beer after work. There is really not a whole lot of times that I think it's inappropriate for a leader to be using storytelling when they're doing what they would consider leadership. Now, it's not all the time. In fact, the, the, if I had to attach a number to it, I'd say 10 to 15% of the words that come out of your mouth as a leader at work should be in the form of a story. The other 85 or 90% should be just like you normally talk at work, giving advice and telling people what they need to do and you know that kind of making decisions and all that kind of stuff. But 10 to 15% of the time, you probably ought to be using a story to make your point. And, and that's the 10 or 15% of the words that come out of your mouth that people will remember the most and act on the most. But most leaders, it's like one or 2% of the time or 0% of the time that they're using storytelling. I think it could be too much if it's half the time that's all you're doing. It kind of minimizes the value of a story when that's all you're doing. So I think the sweet spot is, you know, six to 10 minutes out of a one hour meeting, you might, you know, be telling some stories. And it is definitely what we remember. We remember people's stories at a far greater rate than the facts alone. I know all the research backs that up, but it is just absolutely true for Mm -hmm. everybody everywhere we meet. Well, this is 
a, a wonderful conversation. There's 10 very powerful stories, 10 great stories that leaders tell. And Paul, your mission to help leaders uh, really get where they want to go and their organizations get where they want to go because of these stories is one that I share. And so your mission here on creating a generation of leaders who are great storytellers is one that we're all cheering for, <laughs> not only because we want great leaders, but because we love great stories. Yeah, exactly. skin, right? We don't yeah. want to be bored to tears. And so I'm looking forward, if I'm ever sitting in one of those founding story meetings that starts off with the boring story, mm -hmm. I'm going to say, you need to pick up Paul's book. Uh, <laughs> thank you. And yeah. here's a copy if you uh, need it. So thank you for this uh, incredible work on storytelling and for all that you're doing to uh, lift it up to a higher level. It's, it's, uh, it is fascinating. And fascinating to hear great stories. Well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I met that bar. Th uh, thank you very much for, uh, for having me on your show. Paul, where can people learn more about your work? Yeah, probably the easiest place is my website, which is leadwithastory.com. It's just the name of my first book. I was never more creative after that. But um, yeah, links there to all the books and all the training courses I do and things like that. Fantastic. Well, I hope to see you here on your next trip to this part of the state. And Will do. Thanks, Paul. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Aim Higher with Skip Pritchard. Check out skippritchard.com for more episodes, interviews, book reviews, and leadership insights. And if you like what you hear, please rate us in iTunes. Until next time, remember, don't settle for the mediocre, always aim higher.